Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Press Coverage. I am Theo Greminger. Back at it. Uh, at Press Coverage, we're looking to bring you big-time guests. We're looking to help you find the edges you need to win your fantasy league. And I'm happy to be rejoined by my friend Jacob Sanderson. Uh, Jacob came on First Class Fantasy with Billy Muzio and I this summer, and we rocked it. And I got to give you props because because me and Billy, we, we had some good takes on that show. But you said one thing that was kind of like polarizing to some, but it turned out to be very poignant. You said Miles Sanders was about the worst draft pick that you could make. Uh, this was an underdog underdog fantasy uh, ADP question, but we were asking your thoughts on Miles Sanders, who was at the time rising up um, in summertime ADP. People were getting a little bit excited about him, and you totally went the opposite direction. So big hat tip to you, Jacob. Um, you ran pure on that one. Hopefully saved some people some money. But how are you doing it's today? Never fun. It's never fun to victory lap the, the, the fade takes, though, right? Like it's... It's, it's always awkward to be like, like maybe some people enjoy it. I, I like, I try to like point it out somewhat in the articles because you know there's always gonna be so many takes that I got wrong that it's always nice to be like, okay, look, got one right here. Um, but it's a lot more fun to be like this player that I said was gonna be awesome is awesome than like this guy sucks and I told you so. <laughs> like that's just kind of like you just feel well, like kind of a loser. <laughs> we we get we get that like you know so obviously. At, at player profile you used to be here as well matt gets the podfather gets a ton of attention for his takes and matt is very bold with his takes and he'll put them out there and you know he's you know got got some flack this year on like the the puka nakua take early on but he's hit on so many of them i talked to matt yesterday and i'm like you were telling people right at the beginning when when a lot of people were drafting malik davis that rico dowdle was the guy rico dowdle was the guy and I don't know, Jacob. I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, like recommending a fade can be just as impactful to fantasy managers mm -hmm. as recommending a player that hits. Because if I can go through a draft and just avoid landmines, uh, it's a good thing. So, you know, uh, uh, if anybody's listening in, Matt also gave you that to take Zay Flowers ahead of Quentin Johnston in, in rookie drafts. That's looked pretty good. Yeah, so good. lay off a lay off of Matt, give him some props on the Rico Dowdle one. Uh, but Jacob, we, we got to talk about what just happened. Uh, we are recording this show on Wednesday morning. This show will drop sometime Wednesday afternoon for you on the East Coast and, and Wednesday morning for you on the West Coast. But we just find out the news that Deshaun Watson is done for the season. He's going to have surgery. Uh, Cleveland is just coming off of a very big win over the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this team, people don't really know what to make right now. Uh, obviously, Walker has limitations as a quarterback. What does this do to the Cleveland skill position players? Does it make you more excited about any of them? Or is it simply a matter of let's, you know, temper our expectations for all of them? Let's start at the running back spot. Jerome Ford's been very, very good at times this season. Um, your thoughts on him, Kareem Hunt as well. Yeah, this sucks. Um, 
Uh, for for Hunt, I think he makes him virtually useless. He has pretty much no pass game role. His between the twenties role has basically been reduced to a breather back. He's basically a goal line specialist for them, and they're going to spend a lot less time at the goal line. So, yeah, uh, he he goes from like a pretty viable flex to just not really being uh, a starting option any longer, in my opinion. Cooper gets completely killed by this. Um, yeah. His his splits, Watson versus not Watson, are are tremendous. He's still going to have the usage, but I mean, he's he's playing an intermediate and downfield role, and, and we have no real confidence that PJ Walker can get him the ball. I, I would think that we see Dorian Thompson Robinson before too long. Uh, PJ Walker was quite bad uh, when he got the chance to play. I think they know what they have in PJ Walker, which is it's one thing when you're just trying to maximize your chances of winning one or two games before you get your starting quarterback back. And you're really looking at the floor, right? You're like, what quarterback can get us through this moment in time? Whereas now they're in a spot where, you know, Watson's not coming back, even if they make the playoffs. So they have to try and think through what's, what's the best chance we have of this season having some form of purpose. Um, And I think to me, that has to then be, well, let's see if we can develop this rookie. Maybe he becomes a better option with a higher ceiling down the road that can give us some sort of chance in the playoffs. You know, you're not winning a Super Bowl with P.J. Walker. So I think that they give DTR a shot. And frankly, that's probably even worse for the weapons than P.J. Walker yeah. would be because he's going to run more. He probably is worse than P.J. Walker. It's just like a, a shoot-for-the-moon strategy at that point. So Cooper's a borderline starter flex option, I guess. Um, Elijah Moore is completely out of lineups, tons out of lineups. Ford's probably about the same. He's probably the least affected by this since he plays in trail script anyway. And then Njoku, you mentioned, is a guy who was really getting peppered uh, yeah, I think tight ends a lot of the time are almost unaffected by quarterback play because you get better quarterback play, you get more touchdown opportunities, you can get more downfield opportunities, you get worse quarterback play, and you know they spend more time throwing it around the line of scrimmage to their tight end. So yeah, I've seen this with like T.J. Hawkinson as uh, a great example where it's like you know his his ceiling um, from like a touchdown perspective, maybe comes down slightly without Kirk Cousins, but then you get the backup quarterback in there and he's getting locked on and his target share is, is massively spiked. Right. So we, we can see that time to time with tight ends. Yeah. You know, we talked in the, in the pre-show, like I'm, I'm looking through every box score and, and, and all, all the metrics in the PJ Walker starts. And that's like the only one that kind of stood out was, you know, David and Joku's most heavily targeted games were with PJ Walker week seven. He had nine targets Week eight against Seattle, he had eight targets. So maybe, you know, I think if you have Njoku, I don't think you're, like Jacob said, I, I completely agree. Everybody else, I absolutely worry. Uh, if you are in a trading league and you can pivot off of Amari Cooper with his recent strong play, that might be a good a good thing to do. And we're going to talk about some buys and sells later in the show. But Jacob, kind of let everybody know kind of what you have going on. What's like a typical week for you content-wise these, these days? Well, this isn't actually that typical a week because I'm doing a little different. Normally, I have the Sunday drive comes out every Tuesday morning, which is like my sort of reflection running back usage piece. Um, and then I'll usually update my dynasty rankings up on Wednesday. And then usually kind of every second week, I'll have like a longer form theory piece on Friday or Saturday, usually dynasty related. Uh, this week's a little different. Instead of doing a Sunday drive, we did our uh, midseason season. Um, 
we did our mid-season running back tiers. So it's something that I do kind of three times each offseason, right before the season, once in season, where it's not just ranking them through the sheet like I do every week in the dynasty rankings. It's uh, I have these four different asset classifications. So I give everyone a player production classification, um, an assets class, a age modifier, and a contingent value class. And it's all kind of color coded. And then I go through these tiers and I go through clusters. So basically how, you know, how would I value them? I align my tiers with draft pick valuations. And then what kind of, what's the use? Is this more of like a future investment? Is this a now investment? And how do I sort of envision this asset from production, from an age, from an asset stability perspective? And I write my notes on those players. So it's more in-depth um, ranking and tiering system. So basically, if you want to know my thoughts on any running back, their dynasty value, how they look, what their statistical profile is, you'll get some sort of piece from me in that. So that just went live uh, this morning. And then we'll see. I'll probably try and have a uh, more of a theory piece up um, Friday or Saturday. And where can people find that work, Jacob? Yeah, they can find all my written stuff at uh, Thinking About Thinking. So it's just my name, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Substack's called Thinking About Thinking. Um, and they can find everything that I do um, up there. Love it. And uh, where are we falling in line right now at the very, very top for Dynasty running back rankings? Because this is a continual discussion that we're having here at Player Profiler. And I know another a lot of other sites are where Bijan Robinson remains at the top. And where would your Brees Hall's Jameer Gibbs, Jonathan Taylor's, Devon A-Chain's kind of fall in line after that. Give us the very top. Yeah, for sure. So it's, you know, the tiers end up being quite small because the way I do it is, is like I said, I assign a draft pick value to each tier. So for instance, Bijan Robinson, I have this like 2.5 to 3 base first. And there's a whole explanation of what a base first means. You can think of it as a mid first. And if you want to find out more, you can go and read my stuff. Um, but tier two, which is two to two and a half base first, this is dynasty value, of course, um, then becomes Jameer Gibbs and Brees Hall. Next tier, 1.5 to two, McCaffrey, Etienne, and Taylor. Um, and then 1.25 to 1.5 is Devon Achan. And those are the only seven running backs I have that are worth more than a first. Everyone else yeah. is worth, like I have Eckler and Ken Walker worth one first. And then everyone else is worth either a late first or less. So uh, it's it definitely thins out fast right now in the running back landscape. Big big time. It's very, very flat. It's a it's an excellent time to actually go trade, I think, for short-term value if you're a dynasty manager. Today, we're going to keep an eye on some redraft valuations. But first, I got to ask you my evergreen question. Pretty much everybody who comes on First Class Fantasy and comes on press coverage, I've asked the same questions. And it's it's been a really fun uh, one because people go all over the place but you put like a lot of time into your preseason evaluations you draft in high stakes uh you're obviously ranking players putting them in tiers who's been the player that's been the biggest positive surprise for you and and i i told jacob before the show he's not allowed to say puka nakua so any (laughs) non-puka nakua response would, would work I mean, this one is probably pretty similar to Puka for me. So maybe it's, uh, um, you know what? No, I'm not even going to pick one of the wide receivers. I was going to pick Tank Dell, but I, I'll just pick the quarterback because he's really the star that stirs a drink. I mean, it's got to be CJ Stroud. I, I don't, like, I don't think it's, I, I said this, uh, it's kind of like a weird contrived um, parameters that I set up for myself to make it maybe more, less of a hot take. But I said this. 
if you were to draft, if you're just doing a draft of who will be generally thought of as the greatest quarterback of all time in like 20 years, right? The, the most likely answer is probably either Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, depending on what you think of the rest of Patrick Mahomes' career. And then the third most likely name is probably CJ Stroud, which is kind of, you know, it's contrived in the sense that like, look, probably a decent chance that say Justin Herbert has a better career than CJ Stroud, but he's less likely to have a better career than Patrick Mahomes because of the certainty and all that stuff. But I truly do want to say in context, like I think this is probably the best rookie quarterback season of all time. Um, when you consider the context of how important, you know, uh, the quarterback is, you could argue it's the most impactful rookie season of all time period. And what's the most impressive to me is like each little new piece of information that we've gotten has just further compounded upon how special this kid is, right? First, we got, oh, he's playing pretty well. And we got, oh, he's like really supporting Nico Collins into this big leap. Okay. Nico Collins was decent prospect, kind of had a, a, looked like an above average starter after his first two years. I was far higher on him, frankly, than most people coming off two years. Okay. It's possible. Third, you know, old school, third year breakout type, right? Oh, Tank Dell's now really popping off, right? Oh, interesting. Like, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't a lock of a prospect, but he had some production third year or third, third round pick. Sure. It's possible that both Nico could take a leap and Tank Dell could really be much better than we thought. Okay, now it's now the now the the possibilities have stretched beyond our imagination because Noah Brown ran like 500 routes last year with Dak Prescott, right? Not some schlub. He he was a full time receiver for a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Did nothing. Like was not you know, was not at all a guy that you cared about in fantasy. Was not an, a, a not really an impactful real life player. He goes to the cornucopia of wide receiver fantasy production with CJ over in Houston. And now he's one of the most efficient wide receivers in the NFL. So this guy has come in with no O-line, no running game, rookie, and turned a journeyman vet, a third round rookie who's like five foot eight and buck 20, and a third year, probably above average starting wide receiver into three of the most efficient and well-graded receivers in the entire NFL. Um, it is absolutely astounding how special this player is. Uh, and he has to be the most positive surprise because we get, you know, Peyton Manning 2.0 in our lives for the next 15 to 20 years, providing us unforgettable football. And from a fantasy perspective, probably elevating two to three to four weapons into fantasy starters, top end fantasy starters for the entirety of his career, which is fantastic to, to see. Yeah, it's it's wild. And like you said, the career highs in terms of catches and yardage for Dalton Schultz also come along with CJ Stroud. Career highs for catches, yardage uh, for Noah Brown. Career highs for catches and yardage for Nico Collins. And then Tank Dell is going is averaging over 14 points per game in PPR and he's on pace to have the best season for any third round uh NFL draft pick rookie wide receiver since Terry McLaurin and he's got a chance to score more PPR points than McLaurin did back in 2019 yeah. which is wild cuz McLaurin at the time was like found money um and Take Dell's been just a rocket ship in terms of dynasty um so you're right he's quickly made Houston Texans the ones 
that we want to target. And the amount of teams you're going to see with Houston Texans stacks in redraft and best ball this coming off season, it's, it might be the most stacked team because none of these wide receivers are going to rise up to like undraftable land where they rise up in like the first two rounds. So you're going to be able to attach CJ Stroud with like three pass catchers. People are going to absolutely love it. I love the answer for CJ Stroud. We're extremely high on him at player profile. We had him ahead of Bryce Young the whole way. We thought he should have been the number one overall pick and he's exceeded everyone's expectations. Now for you in Dynasty, Justin Herbert or CJ Stroud? It's, a, it's Stroud for me. And I, I argued this on my show last night. I, I get if you want to do Herbert. I think it's reasonable if you want to just look at, hey, you know, sure, maybe Stroud's a little younger. Maybe well, he well Jacob, let's, let's lightning round it. I'll take it up. Lamar Jackson or CJ Stroud in fantasy. And I'll give you a three-year window for this. Not You don't have to worry about where the guy's going to be in five, six years. If you have three years to win a dynasty league, are you taking Lamar Jackson or are you taking CJ Stroud? Well, I always reject this three-year window theory because, you know, to some extent, even in a three-year window, the age still matters to the extent that they're going to have potentially different um, sell prices within two years. And that affects what I can do with my team and how I can use that asset. But um, I, I would, like, I, if your question is who scores more fantasy points for the next three years, I would still take Lamar. But yeah. from a dynasty standpoint, I, I, I do prefer CJ Stroud. Love it. And I think that's the ultimate litmus test because I think that the Burrow Herbert tier, like people can already talk themselves into Stroud. I know I'm there. It's the Lamar Jackson and then the big three is very difficult to break into. But we'll talk a lot more about Dynasty another time. we got to get back into redraft. What player has been your biggest disappointment? A guy maybe you were high on in the preseason that's kind of let you down, whether it's his fault or usage from the team. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm on the show. I have his jersey. He's one of my favorite players. It really can't be anybody else. It's got to be Tony. Um, uh, Paul, heard not Kadarius. Although, <laughs> yeah, if you had a, a Kadarius-Tony jersey, that would be very odd. Yeah, I, as I said it, I was like, oh, well, a couple of disappointments with that name. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 going to be fascinating to see sort of what people draw from this and how people apply this to running back analysis moving forward. Um, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, two things I think are true for the rest of this season. One, he's clearly like a positive regression candidate. Like he still sees 80% of their running back opportunities before it gets to garbage time. He's had nine expected touchdowns. He scored two of them. Um, he had, you know, one of them was called back for a bogus penalty and many others have been stopped like literally two inches short. And that stuff's probably going to even out to some extent over the rest of the season. And he'll score more fantasy points. I think he's at like 12 and a half right now. I would bet that he probably scores about 15 per game the rest of the way. All that being said, um, you know, he's clearly not been the same type of player who can kind of overcome any type of usage, any type of opportunity share, any type of bad luck by just creating explosive play after explosive play. Uh, that's not been the case this year. Hasn't been breaking tackles as well. You know, he's, he's had runs where when he gets a clean look, you still see the juice for sure. But it is, his play through contact has not been anything like it used to be. It doesn't look like he's as creative of a playmaker anymore. And, you know, the question will be, like, was was is the scheme – is it the ankle? Is it just he's old? Has he always been this guy who's just pulling the wool over his eyes because of limited touches? 
you know, I, I would continue to argue that it's not that last one. Maybe it's like 20% that last one or 15% that last one or something. But I, I really think like when you look through his data profile prior to this year, you know, whether he could hold up physically to a 20, 25 carry per game workload, I, I have no idea. But he was always a player who was still excelled on inside runs. He did it against against heavier boxes than people perceived. He often had heavier box counts than Ezekiel Elliott, even in the last two years. And that's just gone away at this point. Also, basically outside of the first three weeks, his touch count has been pretty similar to what his touch count was over the latter half of last year. Like this was one of the points I was making in favor of drafting him was, hey, look, he was already seeing like 17 touches per game in the latter half of last year. That's what he was scoring all these fantasy points on. Probably shouldn't even increase that much. Probably wouldn't be great for the player if it increased that much beyond that. But that's fine. Look how efficient he was. Look at this playmaker. And it just hasn't been the same. So I don't know if it's the ankle or age or both. Um, I dove into some of the McCarthy stuff on my sub stack. But it's just, it's clear that he's, I guess the way I'd put it is, he he now has to be a player where everything kind of breaks right for him yeah. to succeed. And that used to not be the case. It used to be the player who kind of overcome whatever was thrown in his way as an obstacle with just sheer talent, right? He'd be that kind of player where, okay, you want to feed him a bunch of inefficient inside handoffs that don't work? That's fine because, you know, he'll have five three-yard runs, whatever, six one. He's going to find some daylight. He's going to house it, right? Now he's clearly – that's not the case. So yeah. he's been a massive disappointment um, and – and you're, you're probably going to like him better over the latter half, but I, I still don't think you're going to like him anything close to where you drafted him. So for me, I do think it's the injury. I, I and I, it's a very simplistic method, but he's had his lowest yards per carry. He's had his lowest yards per reception, and he also hasn't had that vintage huge breakaway play that we're used to seeing. I believe his highest, uh, you know, play from scrimmage is like thirty something yards. Used to seeing Tony Pollard take. 40 plus yarders multiple times a season. So it is disappointing to me that he gets this massive opportunity at 26. Like you said, like we've seen this for years. If they would have simply somewhere in the multiverse, Dallas pivoted off of Zeke Elliott when Tony Pollard was 24 and we got that season we wanted, but I've tempered my expectations. It's also a little bit frustrating. Like, well, it's a lot bit frustrating when you see Rico Daddle get a touchdown you see CD lamb getting all these rushing touchdowns. Uh, yeah. That we are not used to associating with CD Lamb, so uh, that's definitely uh, definitely one that I I'm glad you brought up, and uh, we were going to talk about him later. But let's uh, hear from a word from our sponsors, and when we get back, we're going to hit a number of these other situations and help you get ready to make your fantasy playoff run. Hey, we're all starting new fantasy leagues all the time, and more often than not, where do we start our fantasy leagues at Player Profiler on Sleeper because it's the best. You can imagine my excitement. When I saw Sleeper rolled out, Sleeper picks, baby. And game stacking is the path to positive returns with these pick'em games. Find that sneaky shootout and set most of the players to go over their projection for that week. Or you find a game going to get dragged into the mud and take every member of the passing game for less than their projections that week. And if you pick up to eight, that's how you 100x your payout on Sleeper. It's called the Hail Mary. So if you use promo code UNDERWORLD, you get a $100 instant deposit match. Check out Sleeper's terms and conditions for details. These Sleeper picks are live in over 25 states. Yeah, buddy.
Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined by Jacob Sanderson. And Jacob, like we talked about CeeDee Lamb a little bit, and CeeDee Lamb has seen this explosion uh, post-bye week. And we love seeing that with our talented players for fantasy football, where we talk about self-scouting during the bye week, where teams can find increased usage for some players, decreased usage for some. Maybe they change a little bit of their scheme, and it definitely can help us as fantasy managers but one team with, who was on a bye week this past week, and I think there are some question marks uh, kind of in a good way coming out of it, is Philadelphia. Dallas Goddard, they haven't really elaborated on how long he's going to miss, but I would guess he's going to be out for like four games, three games. Um, where do we see these Dallas Goddard touches go? And do we see a, a position emphasized more than we saw pre-bye week? Do you think this is going to be more of a consolidated target tree for A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith? Or do we see some sort of an increase with the DeAndre Swift and potentially Kenneth Gainwell usage out of the backfield? Yeah, I think, I think it'll look pretty similar to last year with Smith really being the biggest beneficiary. A.J. Brown already has like a 30-plus yeah. percent Listen, target share. I don't think can, that can we get Can we get to like Can we get to like 38 can we just, for us, <laughs> just, just go God mode, AJ, all season long, man. Yeah, I think AJ is probably close to max out on what a person can have for a target share. And like, if we can, if we want to add more, fine by me. But uh, so I think Smith is immediately the biggest benefit, is middle, immediately the biggest beneficiary. Instead of having to kind of split those co number two roles with Brown, a lot of it goes to him. What's interesting too is, is Goddard actually gets like a lot of work in the screen game, which yeah. is really weird for a tight end to get a lot of work in the screen game, but he does. Um, I don't really know why they don't throw that many screens to AJ Brown. He's like one of the best yak players ever, but they just don't. And last year when Goddard went out, that was one of the big benefits to Smith is he started getting all the layup targets. Like he started getting these tunnel screens, bubble screens, some of those, you know, flat ropes, slant ropes, kind of that intermediate stuff that Dallas Goddard used to get. And they've continued to use AJ Brown as more of the intermediate dig in breaking and deep post and go route type of player. That's been the core of his route tree. So you get all that um, Smith. And then I think that Swift, you know, there's going to be a spillover effect to Swift. Maybe he gets some of that screen work, some of that short area design work that Goddard used to get, right? He'll get a little bit of that. And then you also just add in, you know, how do running backs kind of get a lot of their other targets is nobody's open. So throw it to the back. And um, in this case, you know, previously everybody was always open because they had AJ Brown, and if he wasn't open, Smith would be open. If he wasn't open, Goddard would be open. And now there's only two guys, so uh, it'll be a lot easier to get down to those checkdowns. So I'd expect Goddard's share to almost be evenly distributed between Smith and Swift, maybe a little bit extra to Brown, and there'll be some spillover to like the. Lamade, Zacchaeus, Julio Jones, Jack Stoll, Alberto, whoever ends up playing tight end for them, but not much. We saw last year they just they just keep it in the hands of their good players. They don't they don't spend a lot of time uh, filtering down to the the also ran. No, no, it's a completely different offense, and and I think we're kind of like if you're if you're in FFPC waivers this evening, I think you're really really chasing it if you're trying to go with a Jack Stoll or an Albert Okwabunum. Um, and you know we talk about the nobody's open like. AJ Brown second most catches 20 plus yards in in the in the league. Jalen Hurts take a couple more shots downfield. Nothing wrong with that. Um and I'm hopeful for DeAndre Swift because we did see the targets 
Um, you know, a few weeks back, he had back-to-back uh, weeks of, of pretty high target numbers. Um, and I'm hoping we can get that, you know, post-break. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think it's a very well-run offense. I think they're going to have a very good game plan. And I love consolidation here. Um, let's talk about your team, the Indianapolis Colts. We have Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. We're seeing both of their usages really ramp up. Pittman has a chance for a career high in targets. Jonathan Taylor had his first game with more than 20 carries. It was a very forgettable game, but we do have some interesting usage takeaways. Your thoughts on these guys rest of season? Yeah, um, I think it's going to be probably a, a, a good situation for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to be a guy that we're going to see probably back to what we would have expected his workload to be. He's going to get 80% of the carries. And, you know, from a receiving perspective, uh, it doesn't seem like Minshew's early checkdown craze has necessarily carried over as he's entirely forgotten how to get through a progression and now just wants to scramble around in the pocket like a maniac. Um, I don't know if you can tell I'm a Colts fan, but that yeah, that's no, that's that, I, I do that in and, my life. You know, we we loved we love seeing like the the tush push with uh, with Minshew. That was an interesting play call. You didn't. Really I love seeing that. nothing that Minshew has provided yeah. to the offense. I I understand that for some he's like a cult hero. He sucks yeah. at quarterback. Like I I'm sorry, he's just not good. Um, he like every pressure. It was driving me crazy in this in the broadcast on the Sunday morning game because what would happen is he would take the snap. There'd be a perfectly good pocket, and he would do his Minshew thing, which is like he would look at his first read. If it's not open, he just starts like scrambling around with his hair on fire shuffling back and forth the pocket running in circles and he runs into pressure because like there's no pressure but he just runs around enough until he finds someone uh to pressure him and then sometimes he escapes from that pressure and the broadcast will be like well, what an incredible play keeping the play alive it's okay if you just stood there and went from one to two you would have found the wide open guy before having to do all of this extra activity anyway all that being said, it doesn't seem like he's going to do his progressions really quick, which is a big problem for Taylor. Early in the season, he was. Early in the season, it was like, is my first read open? I'm throwing it to the back. Now it's like, is my first read open? No, I don't know what to do. Um, so that's an issue. His his role is probably pretty similar to Travis Etienne now in terms of like, uh, you know, high percentage of the rushing workload. He'll run a lot of routes, so he'll kind of accumulate targets as he goes but not going to see, you know, necessarily the, as much force-fed targets as some of the guys, just in a, probably a worse offensive environment. So I expect, like, mid-RB1 rest of the season for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think it's a it's a, a positive for him to get that sort of volume. We're seeing it amp up. Um, and I think post-bye week, that's that's their path. And at the end of the day, the Colts are 5-5. Five and five, um, Yeah, they're, and they've in got path. they're in They're in it for the playoffs. So might as well ride Taylor and see what happens here. Um Let's talk about Tampa Bay because, you know, when we talked this summer, you know, this was a very beat up offense and there's been some fantasy success coming out of it. I know we, Billy and I were on Rashad White at ADP um, and that was not really another yeah, running back to this. Yeah, it was not like a running back to discuss besides him in the summer, but there was polarization um, with the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans at ADP. Both the guys were kind of beat up in the summer. Some people, you know, kind of liked Godwin at his ADP, but you didn't find a whole lot of people really pounding the table for Mike Evans. And we get to now week 11 on the season, and it's been one of the, like, surprising 
uh, big performances of the year so far. Mike Evans is averaging 17 points per game. Um, he's, he's, I believe he's wide receiver 12 right now on the season. Um, and he's coming off of another huge game. He's an impending free agent as well, which is going to be interesting because he could land with, he could land very, very well. You think about some of these contenders might see Mike Evans as a, you know, great secondary receiver for them to add your thoughts on Evans output this year and how you see him the rest of the way. Yeah, it's been incredibly legit. Uh, he's, you know, kind of, he hasn't had this kind of target domination really since early in his career, uh, which is exciting to see. And he's paired that, of course, with always having a high red zone workload, always having a high downfield workload. So he's been the alpha in this offense. I think he should be considered like a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two type, pretty much rest of the season. Uh, and you're certainly pumped if you have him on your rosters. Chris Godwin, look, I, I was... I was not very in on Chris Godwin. I cost. I wish that I could say like, oh, I'm out on Chris Godwin because I'm way in on Mike Evans. I was probably more out on Chris Godwin and ambivalent to Mike Evans. This offense has been better than I expected for sure. But God, Godwin has kind of fallen behind in the target pecking order where he's no longer the target dominator. But his usage is always going to be less valuable per target. He gets a lot of the shorter area stuff. Not going to be quite as big of a factor at the red zone. So he he's the guy really where he either needs to have an absolutely massive target share or be propped up by team volume. And he's never actually had that uh, massive a target share, right? Like he's usually been a guy who sees 20 to 22% of the targets, but on a team that throws 40 to 45 times. Now that they've sort of been a league average team in terms of passing volume and offensive efficiency, you know, he needed that to come up. I think some people were projecting that to come up. It hasn't. The targets have consolidated more with lower pass volume than I even thought that they would. It's just that a lot of that has gone to Evans rather than him. So he's probably like a wide receiver three flex type rest of season. Um, he's in like a similar role to like a Christian Kirk uh, to a, uh, you know, maybe a Deontay Johnson, although less target volume to like a Hollywood Brown, that kind of like vein of asset. Um, just probably a little lower target share than a lot of those guys. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely been a, a very interesting start. Tampa Bay's in the playoff chase as well, so there's um, yeah, they're definitely a team to monitor. The rest NFC of the way, NFC South, baby. Got to love you. Got to love the idea of a of a home game for the NFC South uh, champion again. That's going to be a fun one. Jacob, your thoughts on Kyler Murray? We saw Kyler Murray. There was some like trepidation with fantasy managers with this upcoming game against Atlanta this past week where there was some people worried that he wasn't going to look quite as athletic. Maybe he lost a step uh, with the injury. It looked anything but that Murray was his elusive self. I mean, he looked fantastic with, you know, his rushing ability gave you a rushing touchdown. And he also showed the escape ability had a couple of absolutely ridiculous plays to avoid pressure. Your thoughts on how this Arizona offense is trending as we move along the season. Trending up, <laughs> um, you know, Kyler, good at football. Who would have thought? Um, yeah, he looks he looks pretty much like Kyler Murray. It's going to be great news for James Conner, who has just an awesome bell cow role. And, you know, I had some concerns about Conner coming into the season in terms of what happens at the end of the year, right? Like if they're just destitute and out of it, you know, how much, how much work are they planning to give to this guy who's not going to be long for their future plans? especially if he's not being overly efficient. Uh, and I, I would say those concerns are mostly assuaged. Like they're, they look like a team now 
with Kyler back that is committed to kind of using this as the start to their 2024 season. You know, they're not going anywhere this year, yeah. but I think that they, they have a legitimate interest in finishing strong. This isn't like a tanking team. They've been playing hard all year. And then Connor, the other big difference is Connor has been legitimately a value adding player for them, right? Like he's been one of his most efficient seasons. He's been killing it in a lot of the advanced metrics. So I think with Connor, that's going to be a core piece of how they want to finish this year and establish their culture, almost regardless of whether or not he comes back ultimately in 2024. You also add in, he gets hurt and nobody really ran away with the job while he was gone. You know, I think if, if one of Ingram or Di Mercado came in and was like, you know, uh, I'm that motherfucker, then maybe Connor comes back and they're like, well, let's let the young guy run with it. Probably wasn't the case. So he's a big winner. Hollywood Brown should be a big winner. And the biggest winner of all is probably Trey McBride. I mean, yeah. everybody's talking about him and I'll, I'll own it. I, I was, I was totally wrong. I was very high on him as a prospect. I was probably too harsh on him last year after having a pretty bad start. Uh, well, not pretty bad. Horrendous. Yeah. Um, about about as, about season. as bad, about as bad as it gets last year in terms of, you know, rookie year from him. It, it's just, it's just wild. The turnaround. Yeah, he was stuck behind Zach Ertz, which was whatever. And then when Zach Ertz got hurt, it was like night and day, right? He couldn't even come close to the production that Zach Ertz was having. So I, I was certainly looking at that, being like, ah, you know, probably not, probably not the guy. Uh, and I was, I was a loser. I was wrong. I was incorrect. I was hateful. So uh, it turns out Trey McBride comes in, and and he's he's that guy this year. So. No reason to doubt him at this point. He's probably a top five tight end moving forward. Yeah, and I think he's an interesting one to look at in the offseason because it's kind of like, a, you know, years and years we hear, you know, it takes tight ends a while to adapt to the NFL. But with Trey, Trey McBride, he did get the early opportunity and just kind of sunk with it. But uh, I think that's a, it's a like kind of a, almost a historical lesson because right now, not only is he locked in on redraft, but I think dynasty managers with him have to be very, very excited uh, based on what he's showing on the field. So for me, I think like top six tight end rest of the way, uh, as wild as that is, Trey McBride is absolutely here. Uh, and then you're on Hollywood Brown as a big bounce back uh, candidate. I know sure. that they, yeah, I think it's almost a, a low hanging fruit at this point. Don't get nervous. I do think that there's uh, Rondell Moore and Michael Wilson. Which one would you rather roster for the rest of the season? I think it's it's interesting because Rondell Moore has a season high in targets, um, and a season high in yardage in Kyler Murray's first game back. But Michael Wilson almost scored a touchdown. It seems like if they're building for the future, Michael Wilson might be one that we see a little bit ramped up down the stretch. Are you there on Wilson? Uh, I'm not a big fan of Michael Wilson's profile. You know, older player, wasn't very productive. And then he's kind of the one big spike game, but mostly he's ran a lot of routes and not a lot of targets, which is, you know, kind of what I expected from Michael Wilson this year. Um He'll, he'll, you know, he seems clearly like an NFL player. So he's probably better than I gave him credit for as a prospect. But I, I don't view him as like a high upside priority. I think probably the targets are going to get funneled mostly to Marquise Brown and to Trey McBride. Um, and then we're going to see Michael Wilson. You know, he runs he runs a lot of the deeper route tree, intermediate route tree. It's interesting after the catch. So he'll have spike weeks. You know, I think if you have him in best ball, he should probably be pretty excited. I don't foresee him as like a managed league starter. Probably same goes for Rondell Moore. I think it's mostly going to be Hollywood and McBride and Connor. Yeah, not a whole lot there. One situation that people are got actually pretty excited about on the waiver wire this week is Ty Chandler. He was scooped up in a number of leagues last week when he was kind of the, the you know yeah. the perceived handcuff. 
I know that um, we were able to get him in a bunch of spots. Um, and now it feels like I didn't, I had no idea that it would be like this though. If he's sitting there on your waiver wire, he's going to be a huge a fab guy tonight. Oh, uh, for NFFC, sure. NFFC, like it's like whatever you have left type deal. But what's your expectations <laughs> for Chandler? Um, you know, not only in, you know, potentially a single game by himself, but moving forward for the rest of the season, because the usage was quite similar to Madison in terms of like the opportunities Chandler gets yeah. a touchdown and we didn't even see him ne- really needing to get any targets in the passing game, but we know that part of his game exists. Yeah. I suspect with Chandler, it'll probably be kind of a similar split to what it was with acres when he started to come up, which was, you know, they, they trust Alexander Madison in the passing game. So I don't think that that role is going away. They, they trust him as a pass protector. It's a, it's really an offense that kind of de-emphasizes the running back position, quite frankly, in terms of how they actually operate these guys. So I don't think that necessarily we're looking at, um, you know, a, a, a massive snap share for Chandler or a takeover for Chandler. But what they started to do with Akers was, as they start to trust him more, was they're basically splitting the rushing carries 50-50 with Madison um, and with most of Madison's extra snaps being kind of empty calorie routes. So I expect to see something similar with Chandler. I think that they know at this point, Madison does not have the juice to be a feature NFL running back. I don't know how it took them this long to figure that out instead of like any point over the first four years of his career, but that's what they needed to figure out, I guess. So uh, I think that we'll see Chandler certainly work in. He's the guy that actually has some pop in this game. I think they should have gone to him ahead of Cam Akers. He's clearly, I think, the highest upside running back talent on their team the entire year. It's just a matter of, you know, like I keep saying, this is not a team that is emphasizing the running back position, right? They want to pass a lot. They want to funnel the ball to their tight end and to their wide receivers. And so they're kind of one of those teams where the most important aspects, at least from their perspective, I think of a running back is do no harm. And that that means that we have to be a little bit careful with a, with a younger player like Chandler. They might perceive as mistake prone from just saying like, oh, he's going to see a ton of work because I think it. There's a reason why that hasn't happened already. So a couple games, no Madison. I would expect to see a decent chunk of work for him. Once Madison comes back, if people are expecting to take over, I would temper expectations. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one tonight on, on the waiver wire. And uh, one player that was actually, well, you know what? Actually, let's stick with Minnesota because I want to get your thoughts on the past or not, Josh Dobbs. <laughs> it's uh it's been a great it's uh and honestly if anybody doesn't know the the story just google the past or not uh very very interesting how how he earned that moniker but the the josh Dobbs story has been wild and it's kind of like the sliding doors here where i bet you the cleveland browns sure wish they would have held on to josh dobbs today um but josh oh, dobbs man. um i mean you just think about it it'd be it, you know he's he's better than watson right now uh let alone um you know, what he would do for the team with Watson injured, but neither here nor there. Minnesota made a very cagey move to get him at the trade deadline. And now he has two rushing touchdowns and he has three passing touchdowns in two games. This is without Justin Jefferson, who we anticipate coming back soon. Uh, your thoughts on the Minnesota offense and also Josh Dobbs. Is this a guy that you want to cram into fantasy lineups right now? Where are you at on Dobbs in terms of like top eight? quarterback rest away top 12 quarterback rest away we're, we're pretty close to that yeah Dobbs is like he's bringing back an era of Konami quarterback that we haven't seen in a while you know like it 
it's kind of interesting. The the Konami code, I mean, I don't want to speak for Rich, uh, who coined it, Rich Rebar, but to me, it's it's really morphed into something very different. Now people look at the rushing as like a ceiling raiser, right? It's like, look, you can't be one of the top three, top five quarterbacks if you don't run the ball. Um, you know, and so people then look at that and then they look at these high young drafted players, you know, like from a Jalen Hurts to a Trey Lance to Anthony Richardson. And, you know, people are like, look, we got to just get out in front of this. We got to take shots on the guys who run. And some of those have been home runs, some of those have been strikeouts. Back in, you know, back when I early, much earlier in my fantasy career, the rushing quarterback, I thought used to mean kind of something a little different. It was more look, why would I spend up for Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or these expensive pocket passers when there's these kind of mediocre real-life quarterbacks who run around and will give me similar production, right? You think about a Tyrod Taylor. It's like the classic example of this old-school kind of Konami code quarterback where it's like he's maybe the 24th best quarterback in real life, but he scrambles enough that he's kind of the 12th best quarterback in fantasy. And so you can get him kind of for free. And you don't have to deal with paying the price for quarterback. It's, it's sort of that proto late round quarterback type. And Dobbs to me is like the second coming of this Tyrod Taylor-esque quarterback where, look, he's gonna, it's going to be kind of up and down throughout the game. He's going to make some mistakes and make some brilliant plays. Not a franchise quarterback, but fantasy friendly. And you're kind of going to wind up with Dobbs, pretty similar production that you're going to get out of a lot of the low-end pocket passing QB1. So I, I do think he is a, you know, every week he's in streaming consideration and, and probably is, is a perfectly adequate top 12 quarterback for the rest of the season, especially he's going to get Justin Jefferson back, right? Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson. That's hard to beat as a weapons trio. That's probably a top five group of weapons in the entire NFL. Yeah, and, and you bring up the, the running back limitations that Minnesota has. So it's sort of a perfect storm for Dobbs. Dobbs has seven games this season with more than 40 rushing yards, and now he gets these incredible weapons in Minnesota. And, you know, it's uh it's a shootout team, too. This team has, you know, had been in a number of games that have been very high scoring. So I'm really excited to watch it. We've actually got a, the, you know, the, like, we go from having all these games where we've had some very mediocre primetime games, like getting a chance to see Josh Dobbs in primetime this week uh, against Denver mm. That's going to be like a super fun one for us. But, you know, we're, we're reached 45 minutes in here. And I want to talk about some players here that are that are buys and sells. And I know if you're listening to this, you're either you're either hearing this and you're very excited because you're in a trading league or maybe you're in a league that doesn't have trades. So this is sort of a a regression uh, candidates, uh, if you will, for like the sells a lot of times. And a lot of times it's guys that we look to have a really, really strong finish to the season for our buys. And it can sometimes be situational when it comes to buys and sells. But let's start out at the running back position here, Jacob. Who is a guy that you would be looking to go out and get in some leagues that you think is going to really finish out the year in a strong fashion? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first one would be, you know, the guy's coming off IR this week. Uh, I think you would be encouraged to go and see if Devon uh, Chain is uh, available. I got to name check him. I don't know necessarily if, uh, you know, the manager's held him for the last four weeks. He's looking to sell at this point, though, which is fair enough. No way. Um, impossible. Impossible. <laughs> exactly. Um Okay, I'll give you one that's like a buy high and one that's like a, a really kind of sneaky buy low. One that would be a buy high. I'm still amazed at the way that he's talked about in like the Twitter sphere, at least, which is 
Jameer Gibbs, I think some people are still kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because they're so um, like 10 stop from the early season tilt of the David Montgomery effect. Um, you know, I, I don't see how they put this genie back in the bottle or as no. Trump said, put the genie back in the box. Um, I think with Jameer Gibbs, he's been absolutely electric. He's been dynamic early in the season. He was both of those things. But then, really, it started in that Raiders game. I thought he turned a corner as a runner. Um, and you could watch him start to – it seemed like – it's such a cliche. But it really did seem like the game slowed down for him. I talked about it early in the year. He'd get some of these carries, and it felt like he was just Sonic the Hedgehog out there. He's moving – he's going fast all the time. He's getting a carry. He's going on the line until he's hit, basically. And then he'll try to break the tackle. And he started being a lot more deliberate, a lot more intentional in that game. He was even – succeeding on inside runs his touchdown run was incredible he had the small little hole he was patient enough to to sort of sit there in the one hole wait for the other hole to set up read his blocking dart through it that was stuff that he wasn't doing early in the season that's the kind of stuff the coaching staff wants to see right why do roles change players get better who gets better rookies get better and then you watch that happen with gibbs and montgomery comes back and sure montgomery has his role but Gibbs played 37 snaps, Montgomery played 24. Maybe that evens out as Montgomery gets healthier, I don't know. But the idea that Gibbs just won't have a role in this offense or that he's disappeared from this offense or going back to being a backup, like people still argued with me would happen even after this game, is crazy to me. He's clearly the preferred option rest of season, given how explosive he is, given his work in the receiving game and the fact that he's now splitting some of the goal line stuff. So he's a guy that I would buy high on. I see him as a top six rest of season running back option. And if people are looking to kind of cash out off a hot streak and think that Monty's eventually going to come back and give us more of an RB2, I'll buy high. My sneaky stash, um, maybe this is going to be completely nothing, but I I would stash Rashad Penny on my rosters. Um, Something that was interesting to me was in this last game before their bye, Penny only got two carries, but the timing of the carries was interesting. He got them on the very first drive of the second half, right? Windhorse meme. Why would they do that, right? It's not like this is a situation where, oh, Swift comes off, he's tired. They send Penny out for a couple snaps instead of Gainwell. Nobody was tired. They just went into halftime. They were chilling on the on a seat for 20 minutes. They walked back out, and the first thing the coaching staff decided to do is give two carries to Penny. They don't give him any for the rest of the game. But, you know, they talked about... He had this article where it was like, I want to show something, you know, the, the, the broadcast booth when he came out, they said it was in their production meeting that they wanted to get him more involved. John Ruiz Swift has quietly been quite inefficient the last month and a bit. Um, he's a, he's actually, uh, the liberal media won't tell you this, but his RYOE per attempt is actually lower than Tony Pollard's. He's down at minus 0.34. Uh, I think he's still fundamentally the same player he's always been, which is like a mistake-prone, explosive running back who has vision issues. Um, It's fit well in this offense where they're able to take advantage of what he does well and mitigate what he does poorly. But Gainwell's been pretty hazardous for this team this year, and I don't think Swift has been perfect. So I think that they looked at that as a situation where maybe we want to see what Penny has to give a chance to get involved over the last half of the year. Let's like intentionally make sure we get him a few touches, see how he looks so he's comfortable in case we need him for a bigger role. Maybe he just goes back being healthy and active and this is nothing. But I would be kind of curious to see if he doesn't get five to ten carries in this first week out of the bye after they kind of trial ballooned him um, in their last game prior to the bye. I like it a lot. I think that those are those are very interesting ones. Um, yeah, and I'm completely with you on Gibbs. I think a lot of people are trying to cling on to 
you know, I drafted David Montgomery in the seventh round. He gave me all of this big time production. It's not going away. This is what it is. This is just Gibbs. It's just getting this opportunity. But, you know, we've seen this before, um, you know, with this Lions organization where it takes a younger player a little while to get ramped up in the usage. And then once they're there, they're absolutely there. You think about it, it was a completely different situation in terms of a non-contender versus an absolutely a contender. But it took a while for Amon Ross St. Brown to get the complete trust of the coaching staff before they built game plans around him. And I think we're there with Jameer Gibbs. I'm with you. I think he's got top five running back potential the rest of the way. And I think he's a guy that might be a first round pick when we're drafting and redraft next year. Um, I think he's kind of heading in that direction. Um, for me, you touched on him earlier in the, in the uh, show, but one guy that I think is cheap for you to go trade for, and I think will be a reliable source of volume for the rest of the season is James Connor. He gets 16 carries his first game back. They did not have to target him, but we've seen him be actually a pretty efficient receiver as well. And James Conner really is not going to cost me uh, a whole lot at all in a lot of these leagues. And if I'm in a dynasty league and I'm a big-time contender, this is a guy that I'm looking to kick the tires on. It's not going to cost me anything in a dynasty yeah, league great. to go out and get James Conner um, you know, uh, you know, in a non-superflex late second, early third, people are going to snap that up and you're going to have a guy that you can plug in, um, you know, and know you're going to get 15 touches rest of the way. Um, another player that I'm looking at in redraft is we continually hear Derek Henry's name because of the playoff schedule, but I'm going to go ahead and try to get his backup running back, Tajay Spears, because I think as the season moves along, Tajay Spears is going to start having more fantasy production He's going to cost me a lot less than Derrick Henry. And if Derrick Henry starts to break down, seeing more Tajay Spears in like a fantasy playoffs, that could be a guy that could be a very, very fun one to start if he does get that sort of workload. I think he's one of the more talented handcuff running backs, and he's sort of becoming a handcuff plus. Uh, your thoughts on Spears, uh, Jacob? Yeah. Um, you know, from a dynasty landscape, I'm still kind of skeptical as to whether or not they see him as a – really fun spark plug role player, or if they actually see him as like the Henry replacement long-term. Um, but from a rest of season perspective, I definitely think he's going to have a role every week, right? He's really, you know, the Titans kind of operate their offense in terms of playmakers and non-playmakers, and they want to feed their playmakers the ball. Spears is one of those guys. So when he's on the field, he has a chance of getting a touch. Uh, he gets really high value touches in terms of how he's used creatively. And I definitely think that in the short term, if Henry were to go down, they would give him the workload and see what he's got as kind of a trial run. Um, so yeah, that would be that'd be kind of the the deal. What about a running back that you'd be looking to sell? Potentially one that's gotten off to a hot start, or one that still is holding a lot of value. A guy that gets has you worried that you would be looking to pivot off of. Um. Yeah, I think I kind of just mentioned him. I think Swift would be the guy that I think you can sell high on. Right? There's lots of running backs I'd like to pivot off of that nobody wants. Um, but in terms of guys that people do want, people do like, Swift would be the one. I think because his his underlying uh, usage or his, his usage has been great, his underlying efficiency has not been all that great lately. And it was really great early in the season. And so I do kind of wonder if they look at it and they say, you know, this was a really fluid situation early. He won the job by performance. Um, and if they look at it and say, ah, it's kind of slowed down. Why don't we give one of these other guys a shot? I think he's safe, um, from, you know, Gainwell, cause Gainwell has been horrible, 
But I, I am just kind of curious to see if he gets scaled down at some point. He's fumbled a couple times. His efficiency's gone down. That'd be a guy where people actually do want him, and I would look to pivot him into, like, if you could pivot him into a Gibbs, for example, if you could pivot him into, um, you know, maybe pivot him into, like, a Connor and then get, like, a massive piece on top, top your wide yeah. receiver room or something like a two for two. I like that idea for, to get it to get that, you know, the, the pivot piece as well there. Um, I'm probably a little bit more bullish on on Swift than you are, but I think that that's exactly the kind of the situation that to look to pivot off of a guy who's popped. And one guy that I would be looking to pivot off, and I'll, I'll put like a, a little caveat with this, we're not selling him cheap, but he just had 19 carries and he just had a 64-yard reception, but not a whole lot of targets there, uh, Jacob, to get that 64-yard uh, touchdown reception. And that's Ken Walker. Yeah. I'm worried yeah. about Ken Walker. Uh, this is a guy that I don't think we really question the talent of, but in terms of the situation, the snaps are going down every single week. The targets have gone down. Zach Charbonnet is a big part of the offense, and I think I have a very good window this week based off of a very strong game that the Ken Walker is coming off of from a fantasy perspective that I can make that pivot. And I'm looking to try to trade Ken Walker to go get a guy like Gibbs in redraft. Ken Walker plus for Jameer yeah. Gibbs, I'm willing to make that a chain, um, you know, but again, it's, it's, I want to go out and get somebody with expected volume where I don't really have to worry about some weird game down the stretch where he ends up with 45 rushing yards and like 10 receiving yards because he doesn't get the opportunities. Are you on the sell Ken Walker as a pivot train, Jacob? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always kind of thought Ken Walker was overvalued. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that he's, going to continue to be utilized when he's on the field. He's an explosive home run threat. He's not the referred option in the passing game. Charbonnet is eating into the running game a little bit. And I still think I'm kind of waiting for the um, other shoe to drop with uh, the short yardage work. Look, coaches are weird. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't understand it. It's totally possible. Sitting here on my corner, I like a two running max on the team. I like one is a maniac. He doesn't ever follow the play the way it's designed. Um, and the other one is, you know, not necessarily going to be as explosive, not necessarily going to be as exciting, but he does run to the correct place on the field. So it was 80 yards to the end zone. Give me the maniac, right? Maybe he loses two, maybe he loses four, but if he, if he finds his way into space, he's gone for 80. One yard to go. Give me the guy who runs forward <laughs> because, you know, that's really the skill required if there's, you only need one yard. So that it would be, uh, it, it, it would be for me, I think, in their interests to, uh, you know, to to use Charbonnet more in short yardage situations. Let's go with uh, quickly a wide receiver you would be looking to trade for. Um, wide receiver that I'd be looking to trade for. Uh, I, I will. I'll shout out Nico Collins here. We talked about uh, CJ Stroud. I think every, it's it's Tank, it's Tank Dell's world. We're all living in it. Um, and so I think he's really taking the focus of being the one. I think people are, you know, excited about Noah Brown right now. Uh, if I could get a discount deal on Nico Collins, you know, I don't know, maybe Tank Dell is fully the one. I'm not sure. I still think they're going to kind of rotate games though. And when he comes back from this calf injury, uh, I think he's going to be an every week starter during the fantasy playoffs. I think you just want everyone attached to this Houston offense right now. And I think people are kind of touch and go with, oh, maybe this Nico thing is over. It's all Dell. It's all Brown, whatever. I'd be still pretty excited. Yeah, no, I, I I love the Nico Collins recommendation. I think he's going to finish the season well. And I think like him and Tank Dell 
you know, they complement each other very well. I think it could be a 1A, 1B where both are hitting with wide receiver two numbers rest of the way with a couple of spike games mixed in. For me, I'm kicking the tires on Jalen Waddle because I think right now might be the lowest point uh, that I'm going to have an opportunity to buy him. This is a guy who last year had four games plus 20 uh, points scored in PPR leagues. This year he only has one. Um, and he's coming off of a kind of a, a pedestrian game when the entire offense struggled against Kansas City. I think there's also the narrative that post bye week, it's going to be Tyreek Hill and Devon A. Chain show. I think Waddle down the stretch is going to have some really big games. We've got the Tennessee game coming up. We've got the Washington game coming up uh, where I think he could absolutely go nuts. And uh, let's go quick lightning round, a wide receiver to sell. I'll give you the, the low-hanging fruit. It's Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen is wide receiver eight overall on the season, 33 years old. He's had less than 50 air yards in back-to-back games. This is a bottom four offense. If I can get somebody to pay me with a younger, more explosive wide receiver that could finish the season well, I am looking to have zero pieces of this Carolina train wreck down the stretch. Give us your sell, uh, Jacob, and I'm sure you're probably on that Thielen sell train too. Oh, I, I would agree with the Thielen sell train, although eh. I'm almost I've almost talked my I almost talked myself into it a little bit maybe like it's not not as like a long term thing but I mean he basically runs tight end reps right yeah. so like is that going to go away I don't know like why, why I bought I, and I'll say I'll say full disclosure I bought him in one dynasty uh, league as like a a mercenary down the stretch but strictly for yeah I've done that purposes, too I've yeah. I've also tried to like buy him cheap and done like and, and as soon as I bought him, then he stopped producing, which is like naturally what happens whenever I'm on. You're getting, like, I, I'm you're so getting punished by the you're punished by I'm the so fantasy stubborn dogs. on some of these yes. old dudes, and yeah. I'm like, I don't want this guy. I don't want this guy. Fine, I'll take this guy. Oh, now he sucks. Great. You know, Lesson learned. Lovely. Lesson learned. Yeah. Uh okay. This would be maybe my this would be maybe myself. So it's a weird one. Um I would sell in a redraft format. I would sell Justin Jefferson. Um, I think people are very excited about the Josh Dobbs situation. I'm still not super sure how much that benefits Jefferson specifically. To be clear, I think he'll be a wide receiver one rest of the season, no doubt. But I do think that there's something to, you know, Dobbs when he was in Arizona was hyper-focused in the short areas of the field, targeting the tight end position. We've seen him prefer Hawkinson clearly over Addison. Addison's still going to stay involved. I, I think Jefferson's probably more like a low-end wide receiver one rest of season um, in a situation that's fun for Dobbs, but not necessarily fun for him compared to what Cousins was. And then uh, we're looking with Jefferson at going forward, you know, into next season. He'll be the wide receiver one overall, I hope, I'm sure. But just for this season in particular, if people are still valuing that way, which in my experience they are, and I could sell Justin Jefferson almost laterally for one of Chase, A.J. Brown, or C.D. Lamb, or Tyreek Hill, and it would not cost that much to do so, I would just way rather do that and avoid the hamstring and avoid the, the Josh Dobbs of it all. Um, and, and that would be a clear move for me in redraft. I actually, I actually love that pivot, and I think that's really a well-thought-out answer. And I think a lot of people will will not like hearing that, but I think that's absolutely the case. And you talk about, um, you know, the downfield passing game as a big part of Justin Jefferson's uh, fantasy output. Justin Jefferson is seventh in the NFL in receptions over 20 yards, and that's with playing like 200 less snaps at this point than AJ Brown. So it's it's just wild. So this was really really a lot of fun. 
Uh, looking forward to doing it this again, maybe in the dynasty uh, format this offseason, Jacob. But let everybody know again, once again, where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find my work at Thinking About Thinking, jacobsanderson.substack.com. Also find me on Twitter, at Jacob Sanderson. Um, and yeah, I'll be, you know, uh, writing each week about running back position. I'll be writing about some dynasty strategy. I'm going to do some trade deadline stuff. Uh, probably coming up on the Substack. I think I'll probably try to talk a little bit about playoff best ball on the Substack. I always really get a, a big kick out of that format. Um, so this was awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no, anytime. And then uh, check out First Class Fantasy tomorrow. Billy Muzio and I will be doing some start-sit decisions with Jeff Erickson. And then check out Dynasty Life, my new Dynasty uh, podcast on Friday with Heath Cummings of CBS. Stick with us here at Player Profiler all week long. We got you covered. Want to see you make your fantasy playoffs. Want to see you win some titles. Want to see you win some cash. Uh, Let's get it. Got to get some W's with this week, everybody. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All-In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.